There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hello, this is Chris Cooper and a big, big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. And wherever you're listening from, I hope uh, I hope life is good for you. Uh, I know we're going through challenging times again with uh, with the COVID around the globe. Um, but yeah, thinking about you all, and I do thank you all for listening in to the show um, week in and uh, week out. And I love it whenever I get feedback and comments from you all as well. Got another great guest today. We've got Brian Clayton. We're going to be talking about uh, tech success without capital or coding. And um, before we do that, I want to say a big thank you to uh, my guest. Um, we'll go two weeks back now because I had a little break with Thanksgiving last week and uh, and repeated a show. Um, but two weeks ago, we had David Keane. Uh, David was talking about his latest book, which is um, called Catalyst, and was really about how to be a catalyst to to achieving a great sales success, um, but really thinking about who you are, how you're being, how you're behaving, and how you're connecting with people. And a really interesting show. David is a very, very accomplished author, uh, very uh, uh, experienced, works all over the globe on um, pitch success with uh, huge global uh, brands. Uh, I think a very, very insightful conversation. So thank you to David Keane. And on last week's show, I repeated a, a favorite show. It was recorded over a year ago. It was with Dr. Draven James, and it was on Inner Peace. And it just seemed at Thanksgiving a good time to be thinking about, uh, about peace and having a peaceful time, uh, but also having that inner peace when maybe there's a lot of angst going around us. And Dr. Draven's James' story was just phenomenal for having been brought up living on the streets of Chicago uh, through to being a, a movie actress, um, also um, supporting uh, many hospitals and pharmacies that she runs for various hospitals in her home city and also managing to be an, an author, a, a mom, etc. So um, do check out that. It's one of our, our personal favorites and has some lovely feedback on it this week. So let me introduce you to today's show because um, I'm wondering, are you perhaps seeking and thinking now or in 2022, success online. And are you wondering how to do that without much capital or experience coding? And my guest today, Brian Clayton, is the CEO and co-founder of GreenPal, an online marketplace that connects uh, homeowners and local lawn care professionals. In fact, um, they have uh, in the region of a sort of couple of hundred thousand customers, 20,000 people who are, uh, who are uh, cutting lawns and, and, and a big sort of international uh, structure themselves. And, and he's done that um, in a very, very fascinating way. Um, he's, the Green Pal has been called the Uber uh, for lawn care by Entrepreneur Magazine. Uh, and, you know, there are thousands and thousands of online tra- transactions being completed um, per day. Uh, before starting Green Pal, Brian founded Peachtree Inc., which is one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, and it grew to over $10 million a year. So he is a real kind of serial entrepreneur, and, and I think a great person to really explore today some of the lessons that he's had in launching exceptional entrepreneurial ventures 
uh, and doing that online and doing going from zero uh, to profit and growth. Um, so a big, big welcome today to my guest, Brian Clayton. Chris, thanks for having me on. Great to be here. You're very, very welcome. And now you, you'd normally live in, in Nashville, Tennessee, I believe. Um, That's right. That's home base. Yes. Um, at the moment, though, you're somewhere slightly different. Where are you today? Uh, doing a little bit of traveling in South America. Right now, I'm coming to you live from Aruba. Uh, and so I'm, I'm enjoying some nice breeze off of the, the ocean and some beautiful sun. So I can't complain. Oh, well, that's, that's pretty amazing. Aruba, that's uh, what, Bahamas way? That yeah, yeah, I guess you could say, yeah, down the, in the Caribbean, uh, right off the coast of Venezuela, actually. Fantastic. And what, what's, what's taken you to, to, to travel at this point in time? Have you, how, you know, how has things been for you over the last um, 12 months or so with COVID? And are you comfortable getting an airplane these days? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's like jumping through hoops. It's almost, it can, at times, if you reframe it, can be fun because it's kind of like a little miniature gauntlet everywhere you go. Uh, in terms of what the requirements are and what testing they want and, and this and that. And if you get there, you feel like you accomplished something. So uh, it's, it's kind of a psychological mind game, but I enjoy it. Uh, you know, for me, our team at Green Power, we're almost 40 people now and we're distributed all over the world. So uh, as the founder, CEO, and kind of, I guess, you know, team leader, I can run the business from anywhere in the world with an internet connection. And so I, uh, I've architected it that way, and I kind of take advantage of it. I, I spend most of the year traveling, and, and it's a little cold in Nashville right now, so I figured, heck, why not be in the Caribbean or South America somewhere? Oh, sounds, sounds, uh, sounds fantastic. And Nashville itself, there must be quite an interesting place. Is it home of country music? Is that right? That's right. Yeah, we are, we are one of the only cities in the world that owns an, a genre of music. So country Ooh. music was birthed in Nashville, and we, we really kind of dominate that. So we're proud of that. And, and it's a cool city. It's growing like hell. And, and uh, it's a great place to, to start a small business. And, and, it's all, and, and a lot of times, if you're looking to start a, a tech company, it can be helpful to do it in a place like Nashville because it's a little cheaper to operate there than it is like in a Silicon Valley or a New York or a LA or, or other parts of the United States. You, know, you, can, you can operate for about half the money in Nashville. And uh, that's been one of our, uh, I guess you could say, keys to success is just being really lean, uh, being really smart with the money that we bring in. And, and, uh, and being in Nashville has been part of that. It allows us to, to kind of you know, manage and control our burn on things like office expense and stuff like that. Yeah, sounds like you've got me now thinking about other other cities related to music genres. I think of Seattle and grunge and Chicago. Yeah. And blues. I think those are the only two I can think of. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that's what the, you know, one thing that gives our city a, a soul, I guess you could say. Yeah. Anybody listening to this, check it out. If you haven't been to Nashville, it's a great place to spend a weekend. Yeah. It sounds fantastic. And how has the, how has this period been for your business over you know, and for you during the, the last 18 months where? Yeah. Yeah. It, so that an impact. You know, this time two years ago, like everybody else, we were scared to death. We really thought that, uh, that, that we were going to be, you know, decimated by this, but it's actually helped us in a weird way because, you know, companies like, uh, Airbnb, DoorDash, Postmates, Instacart, uh, you know, these, these companies that enable real world transactions to occur in like a frictionless manner, uh, through an interface and not have them meet with somebody face to face have all had banner years. And so we've kind of ridden the, those coattails. We've had to kind of win at our back. And, and so we've continued to grow uh, at, you know, 50, 60% year over year uh, and haven't gone backwards, like unfortunately many other companies. And so it's helped us. We were fortunate. I guess you could say we just got lucky. Yeah. I, th- I think it's, I think it's fascinating that I'm, I am talking to people who, uh, you know, a number of people who have actually had you know, great growth during the COVID period. And it's easy to think, 
there is an opportunity. I interviewed a, a gentleman, a Haruna, a few weeks ago. Actually, somebody I'd co-authored or I'd contributed to a book, which he contributed to, uh, and we interviewed some of the some of the guests. A book called "Play the Game," and uh, uh, so the, uh, and um, you know his business. I think he'd opened something. He'd gone for about three uh, skincare. Uh, uh, sort of franchises pre-COVID and he had about 36 globally by the end. And it just shows what you can do online today. Yeah, exactly. And and a lot of times too, you know, these things, when they happen that you can look back at them five years later and it was, you know, you glad they happened. You know, this has been an opportunity for a lot of businesses to take their business down to the studs and rebuild them back the correct way. Mm-hmm. And I went, I went through this with my previous company. You know, I had, I had a, a landscaping business before GreenPal and, and I went through the 2008, uh, you know, economic meltdown with 150 employees Ooh. and, uh, and, you know, uh, payroll of like something like a hundred thousand dollars a week. And, and, uh, our revenue just got turned off overnight. Like all of our customers went out of business. Everybody stopped spending money. And so that was a, was like a really difficult thing to go through, but it, but looking back, it was the thing that forced me to take that business down to the studs, rebuild it. And that was the reason why I was able to get it acquired, uh, you know, four years later. And so, uh, you know, folks that are going through tough times right now with COVID and what, what have you, you, you know, in a weird way, five years from now, you'll be almost be glad it happened because it's the thing that kind of made your business stronger and better. And, and, uh, and ultimately maybe the thing that helped you get the business sold like, like it did for me. Yeah, yeah, because it's, uh, it's it's never always plain sailing, is it? In entrepreneurial business, there's ups and there's downs, and you you learn a lot on the on the uh, dips. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> and, and and you kind of want it to be that way. If you think about your life in the in this context of a movie, maybe uh, you know the the business can be the storyline to your life, and you really do. You know, every good story involves risk. It involves some ups and downs. And you want that, you know, you want those highs, you want those lows, because that's what makes it interesting. That's what makes it a good story. And, and, uh, you know, be a pretty boring movie, be a pretty boring life if there were no challenges to overcome. So if you can just look at it that way, it can, it can help you kind of get through these times. Have you, um, I'm interested, fascinated, you, you, you seem to be in this sort of landscaping business. Have you, uh, is, is it something you personally started off doing, mowing lawns? Is that a great question? Yeah, I've never had a traditional job. I've never worked for anyone in my life. I actually started cutting grass uh, in high school as a way to make extra cash. <laughs> I was actually forced into the business by my father on a hot summer day. He came into my room, interrupted me playing Super Mario Kart and said, get off your butt. Uh, I got a gig for you to do. You're going to go mow the neighbor's yard. And I, I said, <laughs> no, I'm not. You're crazy. He said, no. Well, unfortunately, I wasn't living in a democracy. He said, no, that's an order. You're going to mow. You're going to mow the neighbor's yard. So he made me go mow the neighbor's grass, and luckily he did because after I made something like twenty dollars and for two hours work, I uh, I was hooked. I said, oh my god, this is amazing. You mean? I can just do this, make money, and I don't have to ask my parents for money anymore. It's incredible. And so I remember the first thing I did after I, I got paid my 20 bucks is I, I went back to my old school uh, desktop computer and started making up some flyers and printed them off and, and uh, passed out flyers all over the neighborhood. But by the end of that first summer, I had maybe a dozen people that I was mowing yards for. And uh, I always, always made more money than my friends, and I, <laughs> and I loved that, and I always had – had cash to buy the things I wanted and, and didn't have to hit up my parents for money anymore. And, and that was just, that was just awesome to me. And 
Um, I stuck with that little lawn mowing business all through high school, all through college. I, you know, I was able to pay my way through school without having to take on student loans and did it by mowing yards. And I would show up to night class with grass all over me and smelling like gasoline. But uh, it, 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 was a, it was a great business to kind of cut my teeth on what it meant to be an entrepreneur and what it meant to me to grow a business. And when I graduated college, I, I had maybe three employees and and was doing a few hundred thousand dollars a year in revenue. And I had to make a decision. Was I going to be a lawn guy for my whole life? Or, you know, was I going to quit doing that and go into the job market? I didn't really want to be a a landscaper, but I thought, well, maybe this is my lane. You know, maybe this is the thing that I can just throw all of my weight into and see how far I can take it and apply what little I learned in business school to it. And so I made a little business plan and set out to Really, I just had a chip on my shoulder. I wanted to grow like the biggest landscaping company in, in Nashville, Tennessee. And oh, over a 5, 10, 15-year period of time, I, I was able to build the team, build, build the sales engine, uh, build out the business to over $10 million a year in revenue, over 150 people, and, and built one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, did it debt-free. And got the business sold uh, in 2013, which doesn't happen very often in this particular industry. These businesses are not acquired very often. And, uh, and so doing that, you know, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about business, learned a lot about what, how I'm wired and what I enjoy in life. And, and uh, in 2013, I, re- I retired, didn't have to work anymore, which was nice. But then I got bored and I thought, well, what now? You know, there's, you know, there's really more to life than just sitting around. And I thought, well, I'm going to start a tech company. And uh, just see if I can do it. And uh, I had this idea that there should be like a, a, an app. You should be able to push a button and order a lawn mowing service. And, and I thought, well, why the hell not? And I recruited two co-founders and uh, started working on GreenPal. And, and luckily, I didn't know what I didn't know. Uh, it was almost naivete as an asset. Because if I had known then how hard it was going to ultimately be and how challenging, I never would have done it. But, you know, we just laid in there and, and uh, took it one little step at a time. And now we're a 10-year overnight success and uh, have a good, healthy, profitable business running. And, and do you find, um, as I'm intrigued, you know, when you start a, a small, you know, small business up and there's maybe initially just you and, uh, and then you, st- you start bringing in staff. Um, you know, my only example of this was a business that grew with 25 people because before that I worked for corporates. Um, but actually the dynamic changes because uh, – you know, you can have a passion for something, you can be good at it. Uh, but then, you know, the role becomes much more about, you know, managing people, managing relationships, setting a vision, setting the direction, the strategy, and, you know, engaging people to work, making sure things work legally, the financials. You know, how, how, how was that for you? Because, uh, you know, few people possess all of those skills. Yeah, it's, it's actually one of the interesting things that I've kind of experienced in business is like, it's almost like a, like a video game where, every level has its own unique set of challenges and every level there's almost like a final boss. And I think the problem is, is like most entrepreneurs are on level one, two, and three, and they're worried about Bowser and you really can't worry about Bowser. Just get through the first two or three levels and, and, and just face the set of challenges with each level that it brings. And to your point, you know, once you go from just you, you and a helper, you and five people, you and 10 people, maybe metaphorically speaking, level three or four, 
it, it's less about being a technician in the business and more about grooming yourself as a good manager, grooming yourself as a good leader, knowing the difference between the two and, and working on yourself to develop those skills. One thing that I've noticed is that, you know, as, as, as you start a business from scratch and you grow and scale it, there's this continuum of you're doing three things at once at all times. And you're doing them maybe at, at different, uh, maybe you're spending one more time in one versus the other, but as time goes on, you're always working in the business, especially yeah. in the early days. Then you're working on the business, yeah. uh, developing the systems, the processes, the routines, the, the standard uh, operating procedure. Uh, and then you're doing a third thing. You're working on yourself. You're, you're reading books on leadership. You're attending conferences on, on leadership. You're, you're watching stuff on YouTube at night rather than squid games. You know, maybe you're watching an interview with some smart person that you want to learn something from. You're, you're listening to podcasts and audiobooks. Uh, your car is like a classroom. You don't listen to the radio. You listen to, to stuff that you can learn from because you know that you're way out of your, your league running this business that you're running. You, maybe you only have five or 10 people and you've never managed and led people before. You have no clue what you're doing. So you, 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 you go and you, you learn those skills. You acquire that knowledge uh, both from experience and from learning from others. And then you look back and in two or three years goes by and you're a completely different person than you were three years ago. And that's one of the coolest things about business is that it causes you to level up, causes you to learn skills you never in a million years would have ever sought out to learn because in, in order to compete and succeed, you have to. Uh, the business is going to extract those things from you. It's going to require those things from you. And it's a beautiful thing about it because it can be the thing that leads you down paths in life that you never in a million years would have done. You never would have done that. You never would have picked up that book on leadership. You never would have gone to that conference to learn those things you needed to learn. But the business required you to do those things. And that's one of the things I, I love about running my own company. I think that's, I think that's fantastic uh, message to leaders in, into the break. I'm, I'm thinking about... Um, for anybody who's seen the, the movie The Matrix, uh, Neo there downloading soft, the software um, of you know different skills and abilities, and uh, and yep. when you're leading a business, you, unfortunately you can't do it as fast as Neo does. You, you've got to keep immersing yourself in it, haven't you, day in day out, and identifying what new skill, uh, what new knowledge you need, and uh, and I love that you know not watching Squid Games, getting there, doing it on a Friday night at a weekend, building that knowledge yep. and wisdom if you want to be successful. So fantastic. That's really, really valuable um, first segment now, I think. Do, we're going to go to a commercial break now for a couple of minutes. Then we're going to find out um, you know, a, a little bit more. There's some amazing uh, way that Brian went out to research the business before uh, founding uh, Green Pal and, and, and really developing it. And we're going to find out a bit about behavioral economics and communicating the proposition. If you're thinking about operating and developing a business in the sector, you need to join us after the break. Back with you again in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one -one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. 
Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris, Chris Cooper, and uh, back with you again with Brian Clayton. I joined the break was having a good chat with Brian, actually, and uh, and also with Erin, uh, who's um, who's producing the show today. And Erin was saying what a good show The Matrix was, and I pointed out that now, after what Brian said, um, we're not able to watch it because we're going to be too busy on YouTube. And, and Brian had a good response to that. Do you want to share that, Brian? Yeah, you know... Uh... I'm not like a David Gargan, David Goggins uh, hard ass on these things. My, my deal that I make with myself is for every hour of fun TV that I let myself watch on a, on a week or an hourly basis, I have to watch an hour of YouTube in terms of some fireside chat, some interview, some tutorial, some uh, maybe webinar about something I'm trying to learn at that stage of the game. Um, and so for one, I, I trade one hour for one hour and that works for me. And, uh, it could be whatever it could be development, you know, it could be Facebook marketing, it could be copywriting. I mean, heck there was a six month period of time where I was just trying to learn everything I could about good copywriting. And so I would literally be like on a Friday night uh, in my living room on YouTube, watching a video on good copywriting and testing good copywriting. And so I think, you know, it's those little things that if you do them consistently and you delegate and, you know, that dedicate an hour or two a day to learn, it starts to compound and really build up. And then, it, then you wake up one day, it's like, damn, I'm a pretty decent copywriter. I'm not great, but I'm pretty good. And that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And we're talking, this, this interview is about, you know, success without capital and, and coding. And I'm imagining, you know, with Peachtree, it was a huge element of coding, but presumably you had some funds from the previous business, some capital to, to invest in this one, or were you really, really starting this one from scratch as well? Yeah. Great question. So, you know, the first business was very much a blue collar, uh, traditional style of business. Landscaping is about as basic and blue collars you can get. Uh, you know, at, that, at the peak of that business, I had three guys that worked for me that were just mechanics. All they did was turn wrenches all day and fix lawnmowers and trucks and stuff. So it was very much as like, get your hands dirty as, as, as you can imagine. And, and selling that company, you know, here I am. I think I know everything there is to know about business. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm riding high on this, ac- on this uh, acquisition that, that we were able to get done. And, and uh, 
when I started GreenPal and, and started a tech company, I, I, was, I was confronted with the reality that I didn't know the first thing about running a tech business, how different it was and how, how, how much there was so much I didn't know. And so I just got in there and started learning, started learning how to, how to design software, learning how to build software. And, and uh, the natural inclination was to, was to just pay somebody to do these things that I didn't know how to do, you know, and, and I, to your point, I had a little bit of money from the first company. And, and so, and so that what we thought we could do was we would just pay somebody to build what we think green pal should be, and then we'll market it and we'll be off and going. And so that's what we did. And we, uh, you know, I, I had a, you know, hundred thousand dollars that I, that I was willing to invest in the business. Other than that, I wanted it to stand on its own. And we did that. We spent 150 or $160,000 of our own cash. We paid a development shop in Nashville to build what we thought green pal should be launched. It took nine months and it was a total failure, total <laughs> unmitigated disaster and flop. It didn't work. Didn't have the features it needed. We really didn't know what the app should do and how it should look and work. And, and we were quickly confronted with the reality that uh, if we were going to be in the tech business, if we were going to be building software, be trying to invent an app from scratch, we were just going to have to know how to build software. It just wasn't something that we could outsource. And looking back, it was kind of like thinking that you could have a five-star restaurant uh, with no chef. Um, you really have to have these core competencies in-house, you know, either a co-founder or you yourself really needs to know how to do the tech side of it. Because if not, you know, you're going to really just be spinning your wheels like we did in the early days. And, yeah. you know, the, 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 uh, I guess the temptation was when we, when we really kind of failed out of the gate was, well, it's just to throw more money at it. But I learned, but the guy that bought my first company uh, gave me a really important piece of advice. Yeah, this guy was probably worth $100 million, maybe more. And when we got the deal done, it was a really contentious deal. But he said to me, look, he said, congratulations. You know, we got the deal done. You're now a millionaire. But let me give you a piece of advice. It's a lot easier to make a million dollars than it is to hold on to a million dollars. Yes. And, and that scared me. And so, you know, what little money I made selling that company, I locked it all down and very highly illiquid investments. And, and I thought, I'm not going backwards. I'm never going to pick up a, a weed eater ever again. I'm never going to mow another yard. And so I didn't really have the, the liquid capital just to plow into Green Pal, which was a good thing. Because if I had, we just would have wasted it all. And right. so kind of Green Pal had to sing for its supper. It had to finance itself of its own revenues. And just that kind of like key distinction, that key way that we ran the business in the early days is really uh, the reason why we're successful today, because necessity really is the mother of invention. And when you have to kind of like figure out the hard way to solve problems and do the hard work of learning how to build software and talking to your customers and, and doing the harder things rather than just trying to pay somebody to solve the problems, it really forces you to build a healthy uh, app, a healthy business that solves people's problems. And I'm glad we did it that way. It was really hard in the early days, but I think it's the reason why we're successful today. And you went through a really, you know, a really fascinating spell of research, you know, into the likes of Airbnb and Uber. You know, just to share with us what you did. Yeah, you know, so here I am, you know, we're a three-person team, me and two other co-founders. The only three, the only skill that we have is just a, a fire in our belly. We really had a chip on our shoulder that we wanted to build something 
that was going to be impactful, something that was going to touch hundreds of thousands of people, maybe more. And that's all we had. We didn't know how to build software. We didn't know how to code. We didn't know how to design software. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite books is a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People yeah. uh, by Dr. Stephen Covey. And, you know, that book, if you really just live your life by the principles in that book, you will have a successful life. And one of the principles in that book is, is this concept of your, your circle of, of influence and your circle of concern. And your circle of influence is just this little circle that you can act in. And once, if you continue to act inside and do things inside of that little circle, it grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And just that simple little concept was, was key in the early days of GreenPal because it's like, okay, we don't know how to code. We don't know how to build software. What can we do today to get closer? And so I say, well, uh, you know, I don't know how to design products, but let's try to learn from, from the people who are, who are doing it successfully. And so I, I decided that I was going to learn as much as I could from Uber, Airbnb, Lyft, uh, Postmates, DoorDash. Um, and so I signed up as a uh, supplier and as a, as a customer for every one of these apps. And so for one month on every one of them, uh, I would use it and I would, like, I would deliver food for, for DoorDash. I would deliver food for, for, for Postmates. I, drive, I drove for Uber. I drove for Lyft. I was renting out a spare bedroom on Airbnb. And I was doing this so I could learn how these big uh, companies that were raising hundreds of millions, in some cases, billions of dollars and putting it to work, how they were crafting their products and how they were laying out the interfaces and how they were you know, using things like behavioral economics uh, at the right time and at the right moment to get you to, 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 to convert. And we're learning from them, like how they crafted the customer experience and how they crafted their product, taking screenshots of everything, notes on everything, learning from the copy, learning from the, the UI and the user experience. And, and this kind of, I, I, I crafted like a, uh, I guess you could say like a, like a brief on every one of them and, and, uh, and then learned from them and applied that to what we were doing in lawn mowing. And one of the ones, surprisingly, that I learned the most uh, from was a company called Rover, which is a company that, uh, that does dog walking services in the United States. And I learned so much from walking dogs uh, on that platform that, that applied that to GreenPal. And here, these guys had raised $500 million. We raised zero. Hmm. But I was able to get world-class uh, world uh, uh, tactics and, and things that I could apply to our app. And, and, that, and that's what got us through the early days and helped us build a good product. I absolutely, absolutely love that because I think as you were describing earlier, it's, it's easy to lose a million dollars, but you can, you can initially imagine what you think you want to create and you issue briefs and people fulfill those briefs. But ultimately, unless you've done all that research, the money's wasted because it might be not what you didn't need. You absolutely. The, you know, absolutely. And there's so many examples of this just in life. You know, it's kind of like, uh, it's, it's kind of like, it's like building an app in a business like this. It's kind of, it's kind of like being a boxer and, and getting into the ring and trying to be a professional boxer, but never having sparred. And, and you sure you've read all the books on boxing and you've read all, you've watched all the YouTube videos on boxing or, or, or MMA. But you, you, when you fight that first fight, you've, if you've never sparred, you're going to get your ass handed to you. And that's what business is like. It's, if you try to develop an app or build a business without that experiential wisdom 
of interacting with customers or, or, or at least uh, being in the field uh, or an adjacent field and learning from the experience and learning, okay, this is how we're going to approach solving this problem with technology and here's why. Um, and it's, you know, if you're just doing it from theory, then it's, it's just going to blow up on you. And that's what happened to us. You know, when we built the first version, we just dreamed up what we thought it should be, told a dev shop to build it, wasted a couple hundred thousand dollars, and it was a total flop. It wasn't until we really got into the trenches using similar products and then developing our own app and then, and then talking to our customers relentlessly and, and continuously improving it. Over uh, you know a five year period of time, we were able to build something good. Fantastic. So, so you mentioned that behavioral economics. Uh, what what is that, and what's important? Behavioral economics is is understanding human psychology and understanding humans' wants and needs, and and being congruent with that in terms of how you craft your own product. And it's not necessarily it's not it's not psychological manipulation. It's, it's being congruent with human nature and understanding how to build your product to help solve people's problems uh, in, a, in such a friction, frictionless manner that they don't even know it happened. And, and a good example of it would be uh, like when you are ordering some food off of uh, DoorDash in the United States and you order some Chinese food and right at the right moment, they uh, prompt you to understand, okay, uh, do you want to add on egg rolls? Because 90% of the time people want egg rolls with, with, with this dish. And yes, you wanted the egg rolls, but you didn't, you forgot that you even needed to order them. And so at the right moment, at the right time, uh, with the right complimentary product, they suggested that to you. And, and, and so rather than putting all of these things at the front end, on the front end and, and like bombarding you with these options, it's slowly, uh, it's slowly using user psychology and understanding when is the right moment to make the right offer at the right price uh, to, to, for you to get the problem solved that you didn't even know you needed. And so, and so it's not something that you can just uh, outsource or, or just do right the first time. It's an iterative process where you're constantly talking to users, you're constantly trying to understand what they want and what they need and, and serving up the right options at the right time uh, to solve their problems um, without, without getting in their face about it is, is how we approach it. And I learned so much from, from these bigger companies that had billions of dollars at, at, to put to work to where we could apply some of these smaller things in, in our business and, and, and also read every book I could, you know, uh, uh, the, the, every, every book on psychology, you know, Robert Cialdini, the, every book that he ever wrote, uh, really understanding how, how to use human psychology and apply that to product design is what behavioral economics is. And, 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 and we probably got to the first level of it. But it's it's a, it's that eighty twenty rule. We probably get eighty percent of the benefit of, of behavioral economics with twenty percent of the of the effort. Yeah, you mentioned a couple of. If anyone's not read the Robert Cialdini books or, or um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, um, then I recommend both of those. I remember when I was at Mars? Um, they used to work for Mars, the confectionery company in the UK. They they issued a a, a copy of the Seven Habits to everybody. Uh, oh yeah. a, it's such a it's such a great book. Uh, so uh, if you've not got those on your list, get them on your list. I would really recommend them. And it sounds like Brian would as well. Um, so Brian, you, you've got, you built this amazing, this amazing, you know, app. How did you get, how did you communicate and get, you know, potential users, 
and also those people who are delivering the service. How did you communicate the sort of proposition to them uh, and, uh, and, and build your client base and your service base? Yeah, you, you really, in the early days, you don't know what your value proposition is. You think you do, but you don't. And uh, the only thing you can do is just try to get 100 customers and then talk to as many of them that'll talk to you. Yeah. And so when we first started, here I am. I'm, I ran a landscaping company and, and primarily my, my clientele with that first business was higher end uh, folks with a lot of discretionary income, you know, higher end households and, and, and you know, maybe your top 5% of, of, of home values in, in, our, in the market. And, that, and that's what we were targeting when we first uh, started GreenPal. What we became to understand was that was not our customer, that our customer was more the working class folks uh, that, that just wanted a good lawn mowing at a good price. Because your, your higher end uh, clientele that, that maybe had a $10,000 a year to spend on, on landscaping services, they didn't really have a, a, a problem with, with their landscaper calling them back or getting somebody to come take care of basic services for them because they were spending a ton of money doing it. It was the folks that lived on, on the working class side of town that may have had like a $200,000 house or, or lower that were spending maybe $1,000 a year on lawn mowing services or less. It was like pulling teeth for them to get, any, get anybody to take care of, uh, of their services for them. And so it was just through sheer luck when we were uh, trying to get our first hundred customers that we started passing out door flyers and we exhausted every good neighborhood in town, every expensive neighborhood in town. So then we started going over to the, to the uh, working class parts of town and pass out door flyers there. And we noticed that, uh, we started seeing like triple the uptake in signups <laughs> in those parts of town. And so it was like, wow, this is actually our customer. It's not these folks, it's these folks. And, and so we, we were able to shift the value proposition from, from, uh, from ordering a, a, a gardening, a, a full service landscaping company to just get a good lawn mowing at a cheap price today. And, and it wasn't in, you know, until we really got in there and started interacting with people and sitting down with them at their kitchen tables and talking to them face-to-face that we begin to understand this is the, our value proposition. It's not necessarily uh, the cheapest service, but it's the most reliable. It's somebody that's going to come out when they say they will and do it at an affordable price and, and, and come at a, at a, at a predictable and and, uh, and in an organized manner uh, uh, throughout the whole lawn mowing season. So you don't have to kind of wrangle them all the time. And that was the problem we were solving. We didn't know that, you know, uh, the first, you know, the first 10 customers, but we got to understand that the, the first couple hundred and it was just getting in there and, and getting a hundred customers and not worrying about anything else is, is how we began to understand that about who we were, who we were actually serving. Fantastic. Well, what I've loved about, um, but this segment, this interview so far, I think, is what you're demonstrating is the importance of doing both the head work, but also the leg work. You know, yeah. you, you're getting out there, seeing people, you testing these other services as well. That also was, uh, you know, helped you build your thinking about what's required and the value proposition and uh, the use of the tech, et cetera. So. A lot, of, a lot of leg work. I love it. We're going to go to commercial break now. After the break, uh, well, we're going, to have, we're going to have more. More insights, more wisdom from Brian. Do join us in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called 
the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Brian Clayton of uh, GreenPal. And, uh, and Brian, we, you know, in the title, we talk a little bit about, you know, capital, no, without capital or coding. Um, you know, we've, we've, this is a complete, coding was a completely new area for you. Is there any, you know, anything from your experience that you learn that you really need to be mindful about when it comes to coding? You know, you know I see a lot of folks that want to start a tech company, want to start a tech business, but they don't have any tech background. And so, they let that kind of stop them from pursuing it. And I don't think you have to. I, I don't think you have to have a label. You don't have to call yourself an engineer. Uh, you don't have to call yourself a coder to, to get started to building a tech company. But you are going to have to learn like the 80-20 of these things uh, in order to get into the game. And, and, I, and I, I liken it to... Uh, starting a restaurant uh, and you don't have any ideas for recipes and you don't have any, you may not be a chef, but you don't have a, like an interest in that. Or maybe, you know, like you just want to outsource all of those things away. It's probably not going to be a real successful restaurant. And that's kind of like what tar- starting a tech company is, is you're going to have to have that burning desire in your belly to want to learn these things and learn enough of them to to, to get into the game and get started hacking away on your first product. And then as time goes on, you can, you can learn the 80-20 of, of software development and then start to de- delegate some of these things to people who have been doing them for 20 years or 10 years, and they're just better at it than you are. But uh, you, in order to even understand what you're delegating, you know, it, it could help you to learn just some simple HTML, simple JavaScript, simple CSS, and, and that might take you six months, but that kind of gives you kind of a reference point to understand, okay, this is how we're going to start to build the product. And this is, this is now I know what I'm looking for with, it, with respect to delegating to a good engineer. It's almost impossible uh, to do any of these things with, with no experience and no desire to learn any of it, unless you have somebody in the, in the trenches with you who is technical. Um, there, uh, a good way to describe it is you want to have a hacker and a hustler, somebody who's good at the business side, who wants to drive the business forward as a hustler and a hacker, somebody who, who's just been tinkering away on, on tech stuff you know, for their whole life. Ideally, that's what you want. Now, you can become the hustler, you can become the hacker, but you have to have the, the motivation to do so. 
Um, the good news is, is that anybody can learn any of these skills. I'm living proof of that. Uh, and and, and the, the knowledge is all right there at your fingertips. You can go to YouTube University and learn all of this stuff literally for free if you're willing to dedicate the time to do it. Yeah, I, I, I love that because uh, you could very easily with something like HTML, JavaScript, you mentioned CSS, you could very easily, if you don't know anything about it, you, you meet a potential somebody who you think can help you. And yes, they, they, tick the, they tick the box for JavaScript. They tick the box for HTML. I think, great, I've got a good hire here. But unless you really understand what's, what sits in, in that kind of universe and have a sensible conversation, you don't really know, do you? You're, you're shooting you in the dark. You don't. And I, and I hear this a lot um, from folks where they're like, well, you know, I need to find a technical co-founder. And uh, well, why don't you become the technical co-founder? You know, why don't you manufacture yourself to be the technical co-founder? And the other thing is, too, nobody that's technical wants to get into business with somebody who doesn't know the first thing about, about any of this stuff. Um, it, it'll help you acquire that co-founder if you know enough to be dangerous. And it's kind of like table stakes. And so, and so close the gap between where you're at today as a layman and an expert and just, just do whatever you can to get more and more knowledge about this stuff and start taking online classes for coding. Um, and if you're willing to do that for six months or a year, you can, you can be dangerous and you can then have a frame of reference to understand, okay, who is a good engineer and who isn't? And, uh, and, then, and then maybe you'll be able to, to, uh, to acquire that technical co-founder because, quite frankly, they'll respect you uh, because they understand that now they, they, they've got somebody that, that knows a little bit about this stuff. Um, it's really difficult to do this and, and play in this game without acquiring some of the basic skills yourself first. But the good news is anybody can do it, and the knowledge is there. It's so much easier to learn today than it's ever been. You come across, you know, an incredibly positive mindset there must have been times where you know you've you've, you've kind of hit, hit a real low point and you know and uh you know you which, which we all do at some point but how, how do you deal with those those low points or maybe your energy is a bit lower or um or something's happened which uh, has taken you back a few steps it's uh it's a challenge no doubt and you know one of the Starting this business from scratch was a was a real, 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 real challenge. You know, our first hundred thousand a year year in revenue was really hard to get, and and uh, a couple of things that got me through those those kind of years of the slog is uh, is first off, I made a made a agreement with myself a long time ago that no matter what, by default, I would always just be working on my best idea. And like, there was nothing else. Like that was the only thing. Like I was always going to be working on my best idea. And I guess like fortunately, I'm not terribly creative. Green Pal was my best idea, still is my best idea for the last decade. And so for like four years when, when we really were just kind of like pushing on a string almost, it was like, well, this is my best idea. So I'm just going to keep grinding on this. And, and so if you're willing to like accept that, and understand that no matter how long it takes to be successful, you're going to make the sacrifices and just keep grinding away on, on making the thing better and better and learning from the mistakes, then you, uh, then you just stick with it. And, and that's what got me through a lot of that, a lot of those hard points. Um, but it is very much like, like chewing glass in the early days. It's just that, you know, eventually if you do it long enough, you know, you, you kind of like learn to love the taste of your own blood almost. And you just, <laughs> you just stick it out. And, and then you wake up one day and it's like, hey, things are starting to work. 
and uh, and you're glad that you didn't quit. <laughs> Love it. So do you, you're obviously in Aruba at the moment, you you travel. I know talking to you that business is, this, you know, business and green pie is such a, a huge part of your life. Do you have time for anything else? You know, you know, in the early days, and so I think these things are fluid as your business grows, you can kind of like, you know, pull back a little bit. And so now, today, year 10 on GreenPal, 30-something people on the team uh, doing multiple eight figures a year in revenue, profitable uh, and growing, I'm able to like uh, put my time in the highest leverage bucket that I can. So things like setting strategy, looking at the analytics, looking at the numbers, um, looking at what the team's getting done, removing log jams in the team, like really high leverage things. But I didn't start from that point. You know, in the early days, like, like we've talked about, I was literally with my co-founders passing out door fires. I was driving for DoorDash, delivering hamburgers uh, all over town to learn how to build a product where people can order services in a peer-to-peer fashion. Like I was literally like, and I, and I was doing that six and seven days a week. So in the early days, you know, all of my life's soul and every ounce of energy I had seven days a week went into getting this thing going. But then as we got some traction, we got some momentum, and I was able to learn how to delegate and build out a good team, this, this, the 80 hours a week went down to 60, then went down to 50, then 40. And now, you know, I might put in, I might put in 20 good hours a week, sometimes as little as 10. But the point is, is they're very high leverage hours. They're very like, impactful quality hours. Whereas in the early days, I, I had to do the grunt work. I had to work on the business and I had to work on myself. And there literally just isn't enough hours in the week to, to, to do anything but that. So I think these things as when you go from zero to one, you know, it's seven days a week, it's, it's 80, 90 hours a week. And then as you get traction, you start to become a real CEO in the company. You can then focus on maybe really high leverage things. I think one mistake is that a lot of new entrepreneurs just want to like fast forward through all of that. And they just want to do like the high leverage stuff when it's like, you don't even have a hundred customers, yeah. you know, go get a hundred customers. I don't care what you got to do. L- literally stand at a kiosk at the mall if you have to go get a hundred customers and then you can figure out how to get a thousand and then figure out how to get 10,000. So these yeah. things are fluid. Uh, nowadays, you know, I, I, I have a really good balance, uh, but in the early days there was no balance. Um, but if you're willing to stick it out, you can get to a point where you can kind of pull back a little bit and enjoy the ride. I, I, lo- I love it. Now, when we first spoke, you talked to me, you told me that you, to live an interesting life, you need to live an interesting story. So what, what's, um, What's next in the Brian Clayton story? What might we expect over the next, I don't know, 5, 10, 15 years? Yeah, you know, I have a philosophy. It's like I try to make as many days a non-blur as possible. And so, well, it's not like every day can be a standout great day, but I try to really be cognitive of that to make every day, you know, is be as like as, as – as not as just a humdrum, like boring, dull day. And so for me, traveling is a lot, is a big part of that. I love to travel. Um, I have architected my company in such a fashion that we can run this thing from anywhere with an internet connection. It's, it's completely distributed business. And, and so for me, like running and, and living an interesting life is seeing new places and, and, and growing my business while doing it. And 
you know, while I'm not a big five-year plan guy, I know I need to get this business over $100 million a year in revenue. And right now we're between 20 and 30. And so, and so doing whatever it's going to take to get over that, that, that nine-figure mark is the next frontier for us. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun getting there. And I'm going to keep running this business so long as I'm having fun doing it. The day I don't have fun, uh, I'll turn it over to a professional CEO and we'll hire somebody to do what I do. But, I, but so long as I'm having fun, I'm going to keep doing it because I haven't worked a day uh, in 10 years. Uh, you know, I've, I've, had a, I've had fun every step of the way running this company. I'm going to keep doing it that way. Fantastic. So we're coming towards the inter- end of the interview now. I wonder if you've got any final messages that you'd like to leave us with. Yeah, you know, I was listening to an interview uh, with Mark Andreessen, the guy who invented the modern day web browser, and he invented this thing like in 1992, before the World Wide Web was even a thing. And in in, in the interview, um, he's talking about moving out to Silicon Valley in 1992. And they felt like he, he really literally felt like he missed it. Like the thought he says that was in his head was, okay, IBM, Apple, Oracle, Microsoft, these guys have dominated the tech uh, industry. They dominated the computer industry. It's over. We missed it. We're too late. And, and uh, what a funny thing. Like that was literally like, the, the minute one of day one of the internet and like everything, everything that was important happened after that moment. And so, uh, but then he didn't let that stop him. He still sat down and invented a, like a good web browser, which is now the foundation for the World Wide web. And so I, my point is, is like as an entrepreneur, as a founder, as a new founder, as somebody who thinks, who's thinking about starting their own business, you can also feel this way. Like, Oh, I missed, I missed it. I'm too late. I missed SaaS. I missed crypto. I missed the gig economy. I missed cloud computing. I missed whatever it is, uh, uh, the gig economy, or I missed uh, the sharing economy, or I, I missed, uh, uh, you know, whatever the next big thing is. And like, the reality is, is that it always gets bigger. It's always going to get bigger. You didn't miss it. It is still literally just day one. You know, if you look at software in the context of, do you, do you think software will be around 200 years from now? Yes. Okay, we're like in year twenty, and and uh, and so it's like you're you're literally like not even halfway through the first inning. It's you didn't miss it. It's still day one. Get in the game. Yeah, get in the game. I like that, um, Brian. It's an absolutely brilliant interview. I mean, I've taken, I've made lots of notes, so I know when uh, an interview is great because I'm uh, taking insights and wisdom for myself. I've certainly taken a lot about uh, you know, doing the legwork as well as the headwork and getting out there and finding a hundred hundred customers and. Um, just making sure every day is not a humdrum day and using high leverage, creating high leverage hours and just so much uh, rich information uh, from your experiences. So a big thank you. I hope you've enjoyed being on the show today. I have, Chris. Thank you so much for having me on. I really did have fun. That's great. And on, thank you. And on next week's show, um, we've got uh, Rick uh, Maurer. Um, we're going to be talking about re- resistance, you know, when people are resisting change and how to deal with that. Absolutely expert in that field. Be really interesting. If you want to find out more, um, uh, you go to um, yourgreenpal.com. That's yourgreenpal.com. And uh, if you're in the US, you'll be able to sign up and you'll be able to uh, find access lawn services um, through um, GreenPal. Um, so do check that out. And uh, I'm sure there's uh, information about Brian online, etc. But uh, do thank you for being on the show, Brian. And I hope everybody's enjoyed the show. And if you've got any questions, comment, send them to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. I always love to hear from you. 
Thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.